Hello again, and welcome to Ground Control. Oh, the theme music that you haven't yet edited in isn't over yet. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Okay, go. All right. (laughs) (laughs) All right, broadcasting to you this time with new headset equipment and much less technological fooking a boot. Yeah, at least we hope. There are three computers on the table. One of them will work. (laughs) Yes. This house is actually getting bogged down with computers. I had I just got my laptop from school, and I have my netbook, both of them open on my desk with my computer, which has two monitors for it, and I was texting someone on my smartphone. I, I felt very, very hacker. Actually, that raises an interesting question. How many IPs do you even have? Like, if we turned your Xbox on right now, would it be like, sorry, no internet for you, buddy? Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> That's a good question. Maybe we'll turn the Xbox on in a minute and find out. Science. <laughs> Yeah, so welcome to episode J of the Ground Control Podcast. That's what it's called. Broadcasting to you from the wood-paneled spaceship, and this time we'll introduce ourselves right away. Okay, my name is Adam, the Action Man. And I am Major Tom, and we are here to give you your daily dose of J. Weekly. Weekly, however often we post this, that's the interval. Yeah, maybe at some point when we get organized and, you know, respectable or something like that, we'll have an actual schedule, but for now it's just whenever we can work up the gusto. And you will continue to like it. Please. Which actually reminds me, I'm looking at our little Google chart that tells us people visiting our site, we have 18 unique visitors so far. Wow, so, that's not bad. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm happy with that number. And actually, I know that this podcast has at least two people listening to it that we didn't know. One of them we knew, but we know didn't listen to the old podcast. And one of them that we didn't know at the time who has listened and has said he liked it. The old podcast or the new, this new one? Okay, so when we had the old podcast of which we no longer speak... We don't go to old podcast anymore. <laughs> we know that Daniel had never listened to it because he posted on the new podcast, OMG, you guys have a podcast? <laughs> Hi, Daniel. How's it going? And then also David, who is a guy I met, he's the organizer of the Underground Con, um, he listens to the new podcast, but of course I didn't know him when the old podcast was out, so the chances of him ever having heard of it are pretty slim. All right, well, again, at some point here we'll get an archive going and they'll be up there, so then you'll have no excuse. And as the organizer of the Underground Con, I did tell David we'd probably want to interview him at some point. I think that'd be really cool. Just have to hope we get you at random here some point. Yeah, well, or C, <laughs> G, we can find ways. Yeah, I'm sure it'll work. So what have you been up to? Besides school, obviously you're back in school. Well, I'm not back yet. Went and got my student ID, got the ID card, got the new computer. I'm all ready. School doesn't start till the 6th, though. Though by the time this goes up, it may be the 6th, because you're going away. I'll probably edit while I'm away, though. Okay, so you might hear this just before he's gone back to school. Yeah. Been playing Assassin's Creed Brotherhood, as far as games go. Oh, Aspro. Aspro Cree, or Ascree Bro, or however you want to say it. (laughs) It's good. It's a lot of fun. I've enjoyed I enjoyed the shit out of the last two Assassin's Creed games too. I mean, I played them both to 100% completion, which is more than I can say for anything except Lego Batman. So, now, do you have my copy or do you have I have your copy. My yes. copy. Okay. I was going to say we should play some multiplayer one of these days, but that won't work. Nope, not right now. Maybe I'll borrow it from my brothers while I'm home and then we'll have two copies. That makes sense. But it's it's really good. I was saying to to yesterday or a couple days ago that it's it's very reminiscent to me of a Rockstar style open world game. It's yeah. very Grand Theft Assassin or Red Dead Assassin or, you know, something like that. It's it's all very open world. You've got lots of guys who will give you quests. There's secret packages hidden everywhere. Well, you guys can't see me nodding, but as Tom is talking, I'm sort of nodding in agreement. Yeah. So, I mean, it there's there's similarities. If that is the case, Rockstar, you need to watch out because Assassin's Creed controls so much better than Nico Bellic and his running into walls syndrome, whatever he's got. And it's written... 
in such a way that the story is actually compelling and not just like a framework for the random bullshit. Mm-hmm. A lot of people play games for story primarily, and I'm, I teeter on the brink. There are games that I play just because they're a lot of fun to play. But the Assassin's Creed games, in addition to being fun games, are really tightly written for video games, which, which is to say they're not as good as your best TV, but they're probably better than your shitty TV. And they're long is the thing. I mean, they wouldn't work. They might work as a TV series. They wouldn't work as a movie. You'd have to cut a lot of them out of it because it's it's meant to keep people playing for a long period of time. Whereas TV, you want people to watch for 40 minutes and then go away, but still be interested enough to see the next episode. Yeah, I would compare the story length of the Assassin's Creed games so far to two or maybe even three seasons of an action-heavy TV series. It's, It's good in that aspect. The other thing is, too, is that their world is smaller than a GTA kind of world, which I actually like, because the Assassin's Creed world is just big enough that I can explore it, there's interesting stuff, but I can get to know it. Yeah. With GTA, like, anytime I play those games, I, I have to stare at the map constantly, because I don't know where I'm going. Yeah, sometimes you'll turn the corner and be like, oh, that's where that building is. Exactly. Whereas with Assassin's Creed, especially in these games so far, since they've all been set in sort of ancient or uh, classical or renaissance settings... Most of the buildings are quite small, mm-hmm. so the landmarks are really easy to spot. You're like, oh, where the shit am I? And you climb to the top of a the building. There's the Colosseum. Ah, I'm oriented. <laughs> All right. I was actually in a store the other day, and they had uh, they were selling pictures of like classical maps for different cities. There's okay. London, Paris, whatever, and there was one of Rome. And it's at the eagle-eye view that you get when you look at the mini-map <laughs> in the game. So I was kind of looking at it, and I'm like, okay, I... I, I can actually figure this out right now. So that's where the, the Tiber Island hideout would be. And <laughs> over here is the Thieves Guild. And yeah, it's a... I'll tell you this, though. Having done a walk of Rome, uh, the Assassin's Creed Rome, firstly, one of the first things you notice, and I'm sure Romans out in the world, other people have been there, are like, yeah. Friends, yeah. Romans, countrymen. Assassin's Creed Rome ends, like, where the Colosseum is, and it's just, like, fields. In real, like, modern Rome, mm-hmm. that's you're still in the middle of downtown Rome at that point. <laughs> There is just a shitload more city to go. Obviously, a lot of the architecture has changed, but there's also a compactness. Even though they managed to get most of the major elements of downtown Rome in there, they they obviously cut things. There, there are places where I wanted to find my favorite Roman gelato shop, where it would be in that, that period. And the entire square where it's supposed to be just doesn't exist in Assassin's Creed. It hasn't, they're, they're just, it's just not there. Hasn't been created yet? Or... <clears throat> yeah. Okay, cool. So yeah, that's, I guess I should wrap up that that's, that's me. Been gaming, been getting ready for school, been running. Yeah. How about you? What have you been up to? Uh, I've also been running. I bought, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I bought some of those uh, Five Fingers shoes. I may have mentioned them on the podcast before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a link on the old one to uh, one of the companies that makes them. They're, okay. they're pretty cool looking. Um, I've done my first lengthy run with them. I f- it feels great. Everything's going really well, so I won't dwell on that. I did the Calgary Slut Walk last weekend. Mm, how was that? It was pretty good. There was a remarkable turnout, considering Calgary's kind of rednecky. The fact that we had like 100 to 150 people show up, I nice. think, was really good. Apparently, I was on the news. I was told today by a, a colleague that, that she saw me on the news. Hmm, now, is that going to be dangerous for your career? I don't think so. It's I, you know, it's a good cause, and given where I work, the idea of being opposed to victim blaming and being like, no, just because someone dresses a certain way doesn't mean you can rape them. I I think that actually goes really well with my job. I think we need that put in the Bill of Rights and Freedom somewhere. Like, I mean, I realize that that's common sense, but... But strangely not as common as you think. And one of the things that, that one of the speakers at the Slut Walk brought up was that you hear in the media 
or if you talk to people, you'll say to them, you know, just because someone was dressed in a, in a mini skirt and a revealing top, you know, there's no reason they should be raped just because they walk down a dark alley. And the common response is, well, no, no, you're right, but... Yeah, well, and it's just like, people should dress how they want to dress. And our society promotes that kind of dress. Yeah. Our celebrities, look at, look at the people on the cover of magazines, on billboards, ads, movies, whatever. You can't you can't throw that in front of everyone and then say, but you shouldn't do that because it makes you look like a slut. Like, well, and, and like the bottom line, one of the things that comes up a lot, came up a lot in the speeches was, bottom line is, so what? Rape is not caused by the victim of rape. Sex assaults are caused no. by the people who are, rape is caused by rapists. There's a list, it goes around the internet sometimes, and it's like, you know, 10 sex assault prevention tips, but they're all sex assault, assaulter oriented. So they're things like, Carry a rape whistle. If you think you might sexually assault someone, give them the whistle so they can blow it. Use the buddy system. If you're worried you can't stop yourself from sexually assaulting someone, warn your buddy so they can take you away from that situation. Right? <laughs> it's really tongue-in-cheek, but it really gets to the point, which is that you can't blame victims. Yeah. You don't blame uh, homeowners for having their TV stolen. No, exactly. While that's an interesting little comparison to make, it's the same. The, the idea is the same. Sorry, I, I approach everything from that sort of criminal analytical perspective. No. <laughs> Obviously, it's very different in the level of violation there. Yeah. But. The thought pattern is you victim blame solves nothing, helps no one, and is just yeah. plain out wrong. Yeah. So that was that. That was the serious part of the cast, I think. I just couple of days ago bought a subscription to Angry Robot ebooks for one year. Oh, I saw you posted that. It's angryrobot.com and also Angry Robot Store. And what it is, it's a it's a British science fiction fantasy genre publisher and they are new. They're small fairly small scale, but they're getting some new writers and some people who are a little more established. They publish two books a month and so for a flat rate you buy essentially 24 ebooks, plus you get a short story or a novella, I guess, plus anything they publish beyond the 24 is they just throw it in. Hmm. So it worked out when I finally crunched the math after I'd paid with the exchange rate at the time I bought. It was about 380 a book. It's not bad. So 24 books for 380 a book. The first one I just finished is called Reality 36 by Guy Haley, which is essentially, I think that elevator pitch is like Sherlock Holmes meets Blade Runner. The main characters are Richards, who is a class 5 AI, which is sort of human but a little bit better, who has a real fetish for detective novels and detective fiction himself. So okay. he thinks of himself as a sort of noir 1920s Chicago detective. So Richards and Klein, Otto Klein, is a German military cyborg who's retired. He's about 20 years obsolete at this point. Huh. And they're sort of the Holmes and Watson of the story, and they solve mysteries. Cool. In this sort of not quite post-apocalyptic, because it's more optimistic in sci-fi aspects than Blade Runner, but it's certainly not a shiny, polishy future. Right. Huh. That's really cool. When you said Sherlock Holmes meets Blade Runner, I was only listening up to the Blade point, so I was imagining Wesley Snipes hunting vampires with, like, a Sherlock Holmes pipe and hat. I would read that. I, I would watch or read that. <laughs> cool. Yeah, so yeah. we will throw up a link to them, because I... That's it. Sounds pretty cool. And three eighty a yeah. book. And you can get them on your e-reader on your computer. They're in in the EPUB format, so you can read it on any device that does EPUBs: your iPod, your Android phone, whatever. Very cool. Okay. What, should we move on to Jay? Well, why don't we start off with first something that has affected Canadians here this week is that our well, he wasn't at the time he wasn't the leader of the opposition, but he was still considered by most to be the leader of the NDP. Jack Layton passed away. 
Yeah, at 61 years old of a very aggressive cancer. Very aggressive, which he beat once before, made a comeback back even before he was party leader, I believe. Uh, no, he was party leader when, when he succumbed before, but he stepped down and then came back and then led them to the election. Oh, okay, okay. And so he, so he came back from it, beat it, and then the second time they were hopeful, and then things didn't really work out. Leighton has been an MP in the Toronto area for several elections now. He's the leader of the New Democratic Party. Any Americans listening, you don't really have an equivalent in your major federal politics. There, there are leftist party, or the most left. There are our social democratic party. Uh, they've been around since the, the 30s, I think, in various forms. They're as close as we've got to communists, basically. Well, <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. They're, they're social democrats. They're very much like a European-style social democratic party, at least in principle. You know, certain stalwarts would differ from time to time. But Leighton has always stood for making Canada a better place, ethics in politics, being responsible, and he's a very great public speaker, very strong leader. If you want to see some of that great, it's not public speaking, but it's his last, the letter he wrote to Canadians before he passed away is really moving. It's a very beautifully written, be you can imagine him saying it, honestly. And it's very touching, and it's worth a read to anyone who's even remotely interested in politics because of the way he approached everything in life with that, that passion and dedication, and optimism. Very optimistic. Very much a believer in wanting to make the world a better place and discussion. P people with opposing views should be discussing and talking and sharing their views rather than just standing on the battlements yelling and screaming at each other. Yeah. N not that there's anyone in Canadian politics who would currently be guilty of that. <coughs> <coughs> oh, seems like we both choked at the same time right there. <laughs> I think if there were going to be a ground control podcast drinking game, there would probably have to be a rule about taking a drink every time we uh, accidentally let our own political viewpoints slip. <laughs> You'd be drunk at 15 minutes. So? So, yes, ground control would like to say goodbye to Jack Layton. I know we were both hoping for him this last election. It almost became a truth, but... Yeah. Condolences to his family, and hopefully there's someone else in the party who can take over. Though the NDP has a, has a really strong tradition of great leaders, mm -hmm. so... Well, and they're really, they've got a lot of strength behind them right now. Yeah. So here's hoping that they do good in the next election. Yeah. Okay. We both kind of talked about that one, but I'll switch it over to you here. Sure. What do you got going on? So I've got J is for justice. As in, what happens when the never-ending battle for truth and justice ends? Which is the tagline for uh, Image Comic called Halcyon. Image? They, they still exist? They sure do. They're still the third biggest comics publisher out there, I think. Huh. I, I mean, thought they were bought by DC. Oh, no. Wildstorm Wild was. was but DC. Image was the, the sort of parent company of a bunch of small studios, and some of those studios have gone different ways. Right. There we go. Okay. So this is a comic. It's written by Mark Guggenheim and Tara Butters, who are both TV writers, though Guggenheim has also written a fair bit of Spider-Man and some other stuff. I guess he wrote some JSA. Oh, okay. And he wrote for The Practice and Law and & Order on TV. And Ms. Butters has written, she actually created the show Reaper for CW, which I've never watched, but I've actually heard is kind of good. I think it's like a teen drama slash Grim Reaper thing, so sort of like Dead Like Me meets Smallville, Okay, maybe? I was going to ask, is it like some girl goes to a new school and meets a guy who's secretly a Grim Reaper? Probably. <laughs> actually, it's probably very much like that. And then they have uh, artists by Ryan Bodenheim, who's credited here as Red Mask for Mars, and Mark Englert, who is credited with Capes. So I don't, I'm not actually familiar with their art, but it's quite strong. It kind of looks like a slightly cartoonier version of the guy who did All Star Superman, 
who I can't recall the name of, and he did a few issues of uh, The Authority. I was going to say, a little bit of it well. looks Authority, the later Authority, though, not the original Authority. Yeah, I can't remember the guy's name. It'll come to me. Although that just might be because that one character looks like the Midnighter. So. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Like, the Midnighter and Apollo from Authority are very strong Superman-Batman analogs, and this comic, because... The premise of it is that something happens in the world that basically stops people from hurting each other, from being able to hurt each other. Oh, really? So people no longer want to kill. They no longer want to fight. There's no war. Everybody becomes super peaceful. And Crompton basically ends. Okay. The question is, what do superheroes do in that situation now that they become obsolete? So what they've done, because they didn't want to write that story with just straight-up superheroes and they didn't do it with existing properties, is they've created their own analogs of a lot of the major characters. So there's a Batman, a Superman, and a Flash Right, character ba- Batman with the serial numbers filed off kind of deal. Exactly. So the Apollo Midnighter and the fact that the Midnighter Batman, and in this book he is called Saber. He's called Saber. So yeah, the Batman, Midnighter, and then in this comic, Saber comparison is is meant to be there and so basically yeah that that happens this team halcyon has to figure out what's going to go next it's it turns out to be this really incredible and bizarre looping story with lots of ramifications it's a great read it is 14.99 u.s cover price and most canadian comic book stores sell at u.s cover price these days so it's 15 bucks it collects like eight issues or six issues, something. Anyway, it's, it's worth the money. It's a great read. Some fun extras in the back. The supervillain called Oculus has one of the best supervillain costumes I've seen in a long time. It's just like this creepy steel mask and then a big double-breasted, like a Prussian military coat with a villain cape. Sounds kind of Destro. Yeah, sort of Destro. There's there's definitely elements of Doctor Doom in his look. Here, I'll, I can show you the picture, and then maybe the people at home can oh, cool. look it up themselves. Yeah, no, I like that. That's Yeah, so it's a great fun read. Well, we're picking up, so that's J for Justice. Cool, J is for Justice. That's awesome. Whoa, hey, did you feel that? Did I feel what? I think we just jumped forward in time by like a month and a half. Wow. It's crazy how that can just happen all of a sudden, you know? Like. Yeah, so that would mean you're probably in school now. Yeah, it- <laughs> It's crazy how we jumped forward in time, yet I still have all the memories of starting school, going on a vacation, which I'm sure you have your vacation memories too. Bizarre. Very. So I think you were going to tell us what J is for. Yes. We had just finished off with J for Justice before we were so rudely thrown through the continuum, and I have J is for Jupiter. Like the planet Jupiter? Well, both, really. I mean, there's the god Jupiter, who the planet was named for, who was... He was originally Zeus, then became Jupiter. My research is all on the planet. You mean, oh, because Jupiter is the Latin name and people spoke Greek first. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, Jupiter, just to start off, for those of you who don't know what it is, largest planet in our solar system, fifth farthest from the sun, and the biggest gas giant here. Could you imagine not knowing what Jupiter is? Not being an infant and not knowing what Jupiter is. Flat Earthers, maybe? I guess. Maybe. (laughs) So, what have I got down here? It's been a month and a half since I wrote my notes, too. Jupiter has at least 64 different moons, which is just insanity, although you got to realize that some of these moons are no bigger than, like, a mile across or less. One of the things that I love is that we have to say at least as many as, because we, even though we're, it's a relative neighbor, it's only two planets away, we know so little about what's going on in our own solar system. We can take in only so much, you know, and I mean, I've been looking at stuff, um, and I read an article from Discovery News the other day on the planet they found orbiting binary stars. So right, yeah, it's yeah. Tatooine, basically. It orbits these two stars, and it's just like, you know, 
we'd never seen it. And I remember we had a conversation talking about how they'd found all these extra stars and planets, yeah. which accounted for a large amount of the missing matter in the universe. Yeah. So it's it puts the whole dark matter theory into question, too. But that's not J. That's D. Yeah. <laughs> M. Four largest moons were found by Galileo back in the day, and they just, that was the standard until we started looking at them closer. I don't actually have them written down, but if you really need to, Wikipedia's got all that sort of stuff. You know, Galileo's middle finger is on display in the Museum of the History of Science in Florence, Italy. Cool. Yeah, apparently he was... Is it just like a big fuck you to the church kind of well, thing? Well, that's kind of what I thought. And actually, I don't know that this is necessarily his middle finger. It is one of his fingers. When he died, they exhumed him and then reburied him, I guess, in a nicer grave. And his one of his disciples stole one of his fingers and made it like a reliquary, as if he were some kind of saint of science. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. If you took all the other planets in our solar system and combined them all together, you need to multiply that by 2.5 to be as large as Jupiter. Jupiter is huge. And that's for mass? That's for mass. Its volume is equal to 1,321 Earths and is 11 times the diameter of Earth. That's stunning. But it would still need to be 75 times more massive to be a star. Huh. So, like, you just start thinking about the, the ranges of planetary bodies and just the immensity of it all. It's really incredible. Yeah, so that, because if you took, that would mean basically if you took all of the major other objects in our solar system and then multiplied them by 2.5 and then joined them to Jupiter, you'd still be way too small to be a star. Yeah, it's nuts. Like, we don't have enough, our star in itself has more mass to it than the rest of our, like, little, our solar yeah, system. By a substantial amount. A huge like, amount. Like 30 sometimes. That's, uh, that's incredible. Yeah. Um, so one thing I got a lot of info on, which because I found it kind of neat, is Jupiter's famous red spot. Right, yeah, yeah. Which is the red storm. It is a persistent anticyclonic storm, which has been going on since at least 1831, and possibly since even 1665. And what does anticyclonic mean? I don't know. <laughs> it sounds like a supervillain. It really does, or like some sort of crazy technology, like anticyclones, or I, I, I don't know. But it rotates counterclockwise, so that mm -hmm. might have something to do with it. I don't know if cyclones maybe rotate clockwise. Maybe. But mathematical models that they've done, and the idea of combining weather and math to me is just another world breaker in my head. <laughs> but mathematical models show that the storm is stable and maybe a permanent feature of the planet, so it's not going anywhere. So, yeah, just a storm forever and ever. Yep. I read a children's novel or a young adult novel recently called Lark Light. Actually, not that recently, two, three years ago. And it's sort of a steampunky type story. But one of the I've cool heard of that, actually, I think, yeah. We were roommates when I was reading it. Oh, so that would be it, yeah. The kids in it, who are the protagonists, they actually end up going to Jupiter, and the, the red spot as a, this massively complex storm with electrical signals bouncing back through it because there's lightning actually has achieved sentience. Okay, that's terrifying. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. And of course, he's, he's an enormous jerk, because he's essentially immortal, but can't go anywhere, and he gets to just sort of watch the galaxy. Ugh, that would suck, now that you think on it. Yeah. Yeah, and of course, Jupiter, there, there are many theories and many sort of models that suggest that there would be no life on Earth if not for Jupiter, because it takes asteroid and comet impacts for everybody else in the galaxy. Or See, and now, that was what they thought, but I read, I read a report that talked about the fact that with newer models, they think that that's not actually true. Really? That the gravity of Jupiter, it's it's 50% effective. 50% it flings away, 50% it draws in. It's kind of a toss-up, what gets thrown out and what gets kept. Okay. So it's not as much of a protective barrier as we think it is. Well, that would still make a pretty substantial difference, though, when you think of how few 
interstellar objects are actually likely to crash with us anyway. True, and very true. And then divide that in half. But, I mean, it also, when they say draws in, they mean ones that aren't on a course and get pulled in by Jupiter's gravity. Oh, I see. So it could easily take something that would have more or less bypassed us entirely and maybe aim it towards us. Exactly. So it can be a detriment, too, which <laughs> is a little, little scary. Back on the storms, it's got other storms. Like, they've noticed small brown and white storms. It, it, the color seems to have something to do with the intensity. They're not certain. Hmm. But in 2000, a three of these smaller white storms merged to form a larger one, which has shifted from white-colored to red now and increased in its intensity. And so they call it Red Spot Junior, or huh. Oval BA. Jupiter itself is 88 to 90, like or in the low 90s, hydrogen, like 12% helium. It's mostly gas. Again, mm-hmm. gas giant, so... It doesn't have features like Earth with rocks and water and plants and all that. All it has is this gas. So all you can go by is what the gas is doing, the storms and the intensity. Right, where the storms are and what they're up to. And just last month, well, two months ago now, they launched Juno probe, which will arrive in late 2016 to Jupiter. There's some strange psychosexual things going on there if Juno is going to enter Jupiter. It's kind of backwards. Oh, I found out something cool here, too. The Galileo probe that orbited, in, they launched in 95, it orbited for seven years. Yeah. It launched a probe into the atmosphere that w- flew through the atmosphere 150 kilometers, collecting data for 57.6 minutes before it was crushed by the pressure 22 times that of Earth. Right. And melted in 153 degrees Celsius, sure, it probably vaporized. Right. And that happened to the Galileo as well. You said Galileo the first time. Sorry, the Galileo launched a probe from... Like the orbiting. Oh, I see. So the probe that Galileo launched and the Galileo. And Galileo. Eventually, Galileo was actually steered into the planet because it was on a collision course with Europa, and the hypothesis at the time was that Europa could harbor life, so they didn't want to interfere (laughs) with anything. Oh, no. I I think the hypothesis is still that it could harbor life, but no one's really. That's a touchy subject, I think, when it comes to the solar system, you know? Yeah. People are afraid to say, oh, they're. They're afraid to use the L word because then they sound like they're science fiction novelists. Yeah. It's Io, where they find the pillar in 2001 A Space Odyssey, yes? I believe so, yeah. Is that yeah. the moon of Jupiter? Yeah, I think Io. Someone on the internet, I'm sure, knows. Yeah. If Hey, if you know, send us an email about it. Then we know you're out there, right? Yeah. There's lots of stuff on Jupiter. I could go on and on and on, but basically, it's pretty darn cool. And pretty darn big. Yes, huge. Got anything else for us here, Drew? I don't. I may have at one point, but I certainly don't now. Nothing? I made jambalaya. That starts with a J. I love jambalaya. I do too. I made it slow cooker style though, and the problem with doing it slow cooker is the rice tends to disintegrate. Like, oh. Or it just it becomes pulpy almost. And it right, was, yeah, yeah. It was still delicious. It was great. You know, shrimp and ham and chicken and all that. Hmm. I wonder if it'd be almost better to cook the rice separately and then combine them. Well, that's what they had you do. Like, they had you add cooked rice, but I think it's because there's a lot of liquid left in the jambalaya, and the rice just keeps absorbing it. So then I guess maybe for next time, try adding the rice uncooked. Well, that might be good, actually. Yeah, I think it would be good with, like, risotto-style rice, like Italian rice, the round... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've never tried it. I tend to make it with wild rice. Yeah. But yeah, I, I love a good jambalaya. It's really good. I've been doing the whole slow cooker thing to freeze stuff because, again, I'm in school now and... Budget, budget. Budget, budget, yep. Yeah. Shit, I wish I had some other J thing to talk about. Well, we did Justice, so I was going to say you could talk Justice League, but I believe that's what we actually talked about, so... No, it wasn't. We talked about some other comic. Oh, okay. And I haven't read Justice League, so I couldn't really talk about it. Anyway. Jackson 5? Jackson 5. I don't think I could say a single thing about the Jackson 5. No. It's one of those, actually, cultural touchstones that I think a lot of people have that I just managed to completely miss. I've got nothing with it either. I didn't... I'd never heard the Jackson 5 that I can recall. Oh, the, I'm sure you have the ABC 123 well, song. But I mean, before I was already like 18 or 19. Like, I'm sure I heard it, but I would never have 
thought of it. So I was sort of aware that it existed because I knew that Michael Jackson had a career before he was Michael Jackson. Yeah, and I knew that there was one of them named Tito, which was entertaining. <laughs> At this point, we're kind of just burning time, I guess. That's interesting. The letter J originated as a swash character to end some Roman numerals in place of I. Huh. So, Oh, one of the courses I'm taking is JavaScript. Oh. Uh, well, no, Java, sorry. Java and JavaScript are completely different, so... Yeah, there's absolutely no connection between them. For some reason, someone just decided to be confusing and yeah, name that, them. That's super confusing. Yeah, very. It's annoying. And on the topic of Java, I've started drinking coffee again because student uh, mornings. Yeah. I've never been a big coffee drinker, but I do really enjoy particularly espressos I like. Oh, you know what I was going to talk about? Go ahead. And now I don't recall what exactly I wanted to say about it was Jormungandr, the world serpent. Oh, and I had something that was moderately clever, and it was going to tie everything together and fit just perfectly, and Jormungandr. Jormungandr, there we go, sorry. Jormungandr does tie, you know, the world together, because yeah, it wraps the, around. Yeah, the wrap-around thing, but I think it had something, I was going to bring it back to something I mentioned in the first half of the episode, which happened months and months ago now, or weeks and weeks anyway. Time fluctuates for us now. We've become unstuck, so. <laughs> yeah, there was an issue of um, Thor the Marvel hero where he fights Jormungandr, but Jormungandr has shapeshifted into Fin Fang Foom for some reason. I remember hearing about that. Like, I haven't read it, but... Why would he do that? And I don't know. Just to get Fin Fang Foom in trouble. Yeah, and actually it references, and I just opened the Wikipedia on it here, it references this thing, the lifting the cat story. I've heard that story before. Thor has to show how strong he is to lift this cat, but he can't because the cat is actually a shapeshifted world serpent. And the same thing happens in the Thor comic, except that he's shapeshifted into Fin Fang Foom. Hmm. And so Fin Fang Foom's like, mortal, if because he doesn't recognize Thor. He's like, mortal, if you will prove how strong you are, you will lift one talon of Fin Fang Foom. And Thor does, because he's Thor. And he's like, and so then he reveals himself to be the world serpent. And like, it's weird. It doesn't make that any sense. That is really kind of strange. Although I think it probably has to do with Marvel was always trying to tie their stuff into other things that they could, right? So if we can say that, oh, it's Thor, and we he fights giant serpents, but we already have a giant serpent, so we'll just say that they're the same for this issue. Yeah, it, it just seems really weird. It's a great fight, though. It's one of the probably the, one of the better comic book fight scenes I've, I've read. I always found it weird that Fin Fang Foom, this giant lizard who smashes things and is straight out of fantasy, was one of Iron Man's villains. Like, yeah, but so Iron Man also fought the Mandarin, who used magic rings. That's true. So I think a lot of Iron Man's villains are supernatural in nature. Yeah. And then I've read Thor comics where Thor fights Alien. I, think I, I guess they were just trying to mix it up a little bit there. Yeah. Well, if you think of Marvel in the 60s, it sort of emerges out of this real retro-futurism, sci-fi, crazy storytelling movement. There's a reason Stan Lee used radiation as a patch for everything. Yeah. Yeah, and in the Thor book, there's a thing about how Thor kills Jormungandr and then walks nine paces and dies, and that actually happens in the comic, except, of course, neither of them really die because it's comics and no one ever does. Yeah comics, everyone. <laughs> I remember that story, that Thor story, because it's one of the ones where he's traveling with Loki and these two other humans he meets on the way. And he also he has to drink an ale horn because he's with the giants and they're giving him all these tests. And he's like, I'm the equal of any giant. Giants can f drink this entire ale horn in one swig. Only the youngest of us need to take two. And Thor, you know, tries to drink it and he just, he can't. And he takes like three swigs and it lowers it a little bit. Um, mm. And they reveal that it's actually, they had disguised, it's actually the oceans of the earth. Thor's <laughs> been drinking the ocean. And, the, and that's how the tide came about. Because in r respect of what Thor did, managing to actually lower the ocean level, now it does it twice a day in, in his honor. Like bowing to Thor. Exactly. Awesome. That's a cool story. Even the seas bow to Thor. The story itself is really cool, because they give them all tests, and Loki's test is eating, because apparently Loki is like a bottomless pit uh, among the gods. 
So he is eating against this other giant, and they meet. Ha- they have this huge table of meat, and they each start at one end, and they kind of meet in the middle. But Loki's been only eating the meat, whereas this giant has been eating the bones and the marrow and everything, and just devouring. Okay. And they reveal that it's actually fire who's Loki's been fighting against, like the very embodiment of fire. It's a good story. If you get a chance, look it up. Yeah, for sure. I uh, I don't think I have any of the Norse sagas in a translated form. I, I mean, I have a lot of sort of like you know encyclopedias of mythology and stuff, but I don't think I have anything that's just straight up like that. So that's cool. Anyway, I think we're probably at our time. Yeah, well, it's not a bad time once we piece it all together throughout the, the time stream. I'm sure it'll be a good length. Yeah, and we will have to risk life and limb to travel back in time to find the first half of the episode in order to bring it forward to combine with this half I of the episode. I hope you people appreciate this, because, I mean... This is we're we're gonna have to use the Earth's rotational gravity to get the space station up to the point where we can travel back in time. We're we're gonna have to pull a Kirk here, I think. Although we don't necessarily need to go back in time, we just have to sort of reach back in time. Okay, okay. Oh, did you know they actually discovered that you can't time travel? They've confirmed that you cannot a photon cannot exceed the speed of light, so time travel is not possible. At least not time travel by those means. By those means, yeah. Although this other group has said that, well, if you had this certain warp drive, and they've laid out this plan that says you could time travel, but we are thousands of years away from being able to achieve it. Right. Well, and assuming that the more prevalent quantum theories of the universe are correct, even if you could time travel, all you would be doing is going to a different dimension where things are different. Actually, to tie it back to Jupiter, the article said that in order to power this time machine that they were looking to, that they had created, you would need to use the entirety of Jupiter as fuel. That's what (laughs) you'd have to have in order to power this time travel engine. And you know, something tells me that that would not be good for our solar system. (laughs) Probably not. It would certainly not be good for our little wood panel space shuttle. No, we'd, we'd we'd be stuck out here unprotected. So at that rate, Jay's for a bunch of stuff. Jup- Jupiter for sure. Jum- justice. Jambalaya, Justice, Jormungandr. Sorry, we didn't go through the standard way. I-, I wasn't sure if we did anything else besides the stuff we did today. I don't remember, to be honest with you. So we're going to have to use a big chunk of the mass of the sun, I think, to fuel the fusion engine that's going to combine both halves of the episode. I didn't actually use the thing to figure out what the letter's going to be for next week, so it'll be a surprise for everybody. Hooray! I like surprises. Yeah. And we, I say next week like we have any sort of order to this. <laughs> Hopefully we won't have as long of a break between this and the next one as we did with this one. Yeah, I don't have another vacation planned anytime soon. I don't. Do we have a standard sign-off? Uh, usually we just say, you know, you can follow us on Twitter. Oh yeah, we have Twitter. I'm Captain Sask. And I'm Deadly Took. And you can send in an email. There's a link to do that. Do so from the webpage uh, if you want to send us any questions or just post on the website. Is it open to comments? Yep, com- comments are open. Cool. Emails, comments, Twitter, topic ideas. I guess it's harder if we don't give you the next letter. Yeah, that's but true. All, all we've done so far is A and Z, so there's a whole alphabet in now, J, and there's a whole alphabet in there, so we'll take uh, ideas for that as well. Yeah, go right ahead. Okay, have fun. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye-bye.